ఓం నమో భగవతై వాసుదేవాయ ఓం నమో భగవతై వాసుదేవాయ ఓం నమో భగవతై వాసుదేవాయ I thought for the lecture I'd reply to a questionnaire which was given to me um by a devotee in Gujarat they there's the statewide paper wants to do an interview but I didn't have time so I thought that at some point I could while speaking to a group of devotees could share these the questions and answers with them so let's go ahead but the first thing we have to do before speaking about krishna in a formal way is to switch off cell phones okay that's the for the modern modern rules and regulations there are things like offer obeisances do parikrama of the temple another one is thou shalt not have cell phones on in the temple <coughs> we should recite prayers to the gurus acharyas and to the lord and his devotees by whose mercy we are able to speak and in whose service we have to speak right mangalacharan so let's do that Question 1 how did you come in contact with iskon so everything we should reply according to shastra as far as possible so the answer to that is brahmanda bhramite kono bhagavan jeev guru krishna prasadi bhai bhakti lata beej by the great good fortune by the mercy of krishna and guru who both guru and krishna simultaneously manifested in my confused useless sinful misdirected life in the form of krishna book volume 2 and that's how i although i had seen something on tv about it before but i hadn't taken any interest but when i read the book i thought i should visit the temple and when i visited the temple i thought i should stay here <laughs> and they agreed the devotees are very merciful so that's how i first came in contact with this one when and why did you join when well it's about april 1975 why did i join well again again so it's the great mercy of shila prabhupad and his disciples there that they allowed me to join why mm well why on earth would anyone not want to join the whole material life is సమాశ్రుతయే పద్మపల్లవప్లవం మహత్పదం పుణ్యయశోమరారే భవంబుదివత్సపదం పరం పదం 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 యద్వపదం నతేషం దిస్ మెటీరియల్ వరల్డ్ ఇస్ అ ప్లేస్ వేర్ దేర్ ఇస్ డేంజర్ 
and misery at every step and the only shelter is the lotus feet of Makunda. So, if anyone has the slightest bit of awakened spiritual intelligence, which again is by the mercy of the Lord and His devotees, then why would anyone want to do anything else but take advantage of the opportunity to chant Hare Krishna and go back to Godhead? What's the alternative? Join Wipro. Well, they didn't have it in those days. The alternative is punarapi jananam, punarapi maranam, punarapi janani jatare shayanam. Again and again getting born, sometimes as a frog, sometimes as a dog, sometimes as a hog, and suffering again and again. So, of course, it's not everyone who understands this, and I can't say I fully understood it either, but. Uh, this much I'd understood that the life in the material world is it's a, it's a farce, it's nonsense, what's useless, it's miserable. What's the point? In my youth, I'd I was looking to see what is there to do. Leave school and then you're expected to go to university, but I, they showed me all the different, hundreds of different university courses you could do, and I didn't see even one that I wanted to do. I couldn't think of anything in the world that I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew what I didn't want to do, and that was what everything else, everything in the world, I, I didn't find anything of any interest or appeal. But at the same time, I realized that there, there must be some purpose in life. I guess I can go on to the next question, because it all leads together. Were you religious from your childhood? And the question after that, were your parents religious? Well, religious, what does that mean? Well, I guess, yeah. My mother was very religious, and my father kind of dragged along behind her. My mother also dragged me to church daily for some for some period of time until I got enough courage to refuse to go. So there was some basic idea. I, religious. I used to the altar boy in the Catholic Church. I used to do that because it, it was good. You got off from school when there's a funeral or then you get off from school and you get uh, paid for it too. So I thought that was pretty good. Although it was interesting, we go to the funeral and you'd see the, the priest was standing there very sorrow, very somber. And then as soon as it was over, we'd all be joking and laughing because you do it almost every day. So, and the people attending the funeral, they'd also be joking and laughing. So It seemed kind of bizarre to me that everyone has... Every, it's a social necessity to, to look very sad. But as soon as it's over, then they're all chatting and laughing and like this. So was I religious? Yeah, kind of. 
my parents, my, my mother especially was very concerned that she wanted me to be a missionary. How about that? <laughs> so I did become a missionary, but not exactly the same, not exactly the way she had it fixed up. So like everything else, I didn't want to be a missionary. I didn't want to be a my father wanted me to be a lawyer. I didn't want to be a lawyer. I didn't want to be a scientist. I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be a missionary either. So they they took me to the missionary school. And I, they said, well, you have to decide whether you want to go or not. And uh, so they showed us around and then they said, let's have a game of football. So, all right, they're having a game of football. Then one side was given a, offered a penalty. You know this in soccer? They had the penalty. So then two of the young boys who were supposed to be candidates for the school, they were arguing, I'll take the penalty. No, I'll take the penalty. And the priest didn't know what to do with them. He couldn't, he was lost. And eventually one of them, just ran up and kicked the ball. And I can't remember whether he scored or not, but it, then I thought, this priest, he's not got it, you know. So, I thought, anyway, I can play soccer at any school. Why go to a missionary school? So, was I religious from my childhood? Kind of. And that leads into another, there's another question up ahead. Did you have spiritual questions that could not be answered in Christianity? Well, that's why my religiousness ended at a certain point, at around age 13 or something. I started to think that, well, I, you see the, uh, because I went to a school which was supposed to be Catholic, but some of the teachers were Catholic and saying, yeah, we've got to be, got to believe in God and this. But I didn't see they were any different from those who were just hired because they were teachers. And often the ones that were like, really, you know, got to be religious and believe in God, they were often the ones who were, you know, they were kind of nasty. Whereas the other ones were more relaxed. So I thought, well, what's the use of believing in God if you're just, you're just a jerk like everyone else, a religious jerk. So that began my doubts. And then I thought, what, what is this philosophy? What, what is this idea that if you don't believe in Jesus then you burn in hell forever. And God is our Father, but He burns you in hell forever if you don't believe in Him. And I thought that... Now, wait a minute. Now, my Father, He's not God, that's for sure. But if I do something wrong, He punishes me, and then He gives me another chance. But here they're saying, if you blow it in one life, then it's you're finished forever. You have no chance. The all-merciful God burns you in hell forever with no hope of ever coming out again. So I so thought, there's something wrong here. And the, the idea of an angry God. So by the grace of my Catholic upbringing, at around the age of 13, I became an atheist. I thought, that's God? Forget it. I don't believe in that. Then a little later, I be, be, began to think that, well, wait a minute. There must be a God, otherwise, how is everything going on? But they don't know anything about Him. That's for sure. 
So they got the basic idea, right, that there's a God, but who He is and what He's doing and how He is, they don't know anything at all. They, I mean, even without any real theological training, I could understand they've got it all wrong. So then, uh, just practically at that time, it was beginning in in the Western world, well, in Britain and America, I guess you could say, and maybe Germany, there was exposure, there was more exposure than had ever been before to what we would call Eastern religions. And most of it was pretty bogus, as it is even today. I was saying the first contact I had with this God, well, I almost got in contact at school again when my best friend at school very excited one Monday morning came up and showed me some books, Sri Ishopanishad and some other books, three books, and he said, oh, you should see these books. I, I let, went to London at the weekend and I met some Hare Krishna devotees. I got these books. I said, no, I don't want to see them. I know all these Indian gurus, they're all cheaters. So that was my misfortune at that age. I had to suffer miserably in the material world for about another two or three years more before I again got the chance to see Prabhupada's books. And then that time I read it. So, but anyway, these uh, amidst all the... I mean, there are very many bogus ideas. There's the so-called Guru Maharaji who called himself an incarnation of Krishna. And there was this so-called transcendental meditation. These were the big two. And there was Meher Baba. I don't even know if you've heard of them all. I mean, the they're glowworms. They glow for some time, very slightly, and then they go out. Prabhupada compared them to glowworms. Actually, it's in the Bhagavatam. That description is there. That these false religious teachers, they appear like glowworms. They give some light in the dark, but very, very little. So anyway, the, the concept of what we call reincarnation was there. It was just kind of becoming the, the, the young, hip kind of people were getting to know about reincarnation. So then I thought about that and I thought, well, there must be reincarnation. There must be God and surely He gives you many chances. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you make a mistake... He gives you another chance, and another chance, and another chance, and another chance. And it's, it just made so much sense that, well, I was also thinking, well, if Jesus is the only way, then why are there so many religions in the world? People, they also have deep faith in God. Some people, they, throughout the generations, people have dedicated their lives to understanding God. So how can you say Jesus is the only way? Because they're basically teaching the same thing. So, and then the question comes, if you say Jesus is the only way, actually this, this question came up, we were, I was on a plane in America, and sat next to a Christian preacher, there are plenty of them in America who go around saving people. So then, uh, I didn't bother to speak to her, because you know, there, it's pretty useless to speak to these people. But anyway, there's one disciple of mine who's 
South Indian Brahmin who's a software engineer in America. So he started speaking to her. And then going back and forward, I wasn't listening, I was just, just, uh, you know, dealing with my email and this and that. Then I said, I said, you ask her that if Jesus is the only way, then what about someone who's born in a country where there's no chance to hear of Jesus or the culture is not favorable to that? And what about all the people born before Jesus? And she was finished. She couldn't, she, she said, well, I'll, she tried to answer it and said something, well, if you act good, then that's your, that's your introduction to Jesus. We said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have to believe in Jesus. He took it up. I didn't argue with And then she said, well, I'll, I'll look in, she had a whole bunch of books. I'll look in my books. So she was looking through her books for about half an hour and she, then she had to admit, well, I don't know the answer. So. Poor souls. You only believe in Jesus. Otherwise you go to hell forever. Anyway, it's theologically bankrupt. It's great that this comes in the newspaper in Gujarat. Where in Gujarat also they're making Christians out of the Hindus. So not to say that there aren't many people who are sincerely following Christ, but philosophically it's childish at best. The idea that someone ate an apple and because of that everyone is suffering from time immemorial. (laughs) And then uh, God came and he died for three days. And if you believe in it, you're saved from the effects of eating apples. So it's, uh, it's really, theologically, it's just completely absurd. You can't make any sense of it whatsoever. So, uh, then, Going back, were my parents religious? Did they object to me joining another religion? Another religion? Well, what is religion? I, I, from the social point of view, it's considered another religion. Okay, let's take it at their level. Well, not. I didn't expect them to object because I was already left home. You know, I was already independent. It's different in the Western countries that uh, I escaped from school at age 17, left home, and uh, I, I did come to my back to my father's home to inform him that I was joining this. And I didn't expect him to object, and he didn't. He said, well, I wanted you to go to university, but if you're happy doing that, then I'm happy. So, that was nice. And recently I met him, no, oh, actually it was last year, and he was saying that, well, I didn't expect you'd stay in it very long. I thought it was just some phase you were going through. But here it is, over 30 years later. So have they accepted Krishna consciousness? No, but uh, like I say, they're quite, you know, when I go to England, uh, my father, my mother 
passed away many years ago. So my father comes and he visits and takes prasada a little bit and this and that. So it's not against and not personally interested in it. What difference in similarities do you find in Christianity and Krishna consciousness? Um, oh, one other point. Let's go back here. Why did I join? Um, yeah, I was at a what I was at a point that um, in my life where I knew I had to commit to. So I had to find some direction in life, and and I was thinking, you know, what's the meaning of what am I going to do with this life here? I just I don't want to just do what everyone else does. I can see everyone's miserable. Why should I follow that? Why should I follow the life of just being completely superficial where everyone smiles and they're nice and no one cares, gives a damn about anyone else and it's just all meaningless. What's the point? So then I was thinking, what what am I going to do? And then came to the conclusion that, well... I should do the best thing I can in my life. What's that? Well, the best thing should be to find out God. But then, where are you going to find God? Not in the Christian monasteries. And Buddhism didn't appeal to me because there's no God. And so, I was kind of hopeless, thinking, I don't find anyone. There's no one who can show me. I don't know how to go myself. So... Praying to God. I don't know who you are, but if you, you know, how can I come to you? So then I came to the temple and I had this idea that I'd visited different organizations and wasn't impressed with any of them. I mean, different, you know, not many, but I'd read some books and the last, I think the last book I read was something. It's very, it's well known in the West by Hermann Hesse, it's Steppenwolf or something like that. So it's, it's a book which shows how the spiritual development of a self-realized soul. So I, I was reading it, I was sitting on a ship going from England to Ireland. I was, I was reading it and it came to the end of the book and then it says, he realized that he is, there was Agni and Krishna, and then, and then he realized he was all of them. Oh my God. More in, there's no conclusion. The conclusion is that everything is all one. I just threw it in the sea. So I'm not going to read any more of these stupid books. Finished. It's, it's impersonalism. What is it? I didn't even know the word impersonalism, but I was disgusted with it. All these people were saying. Everything is all one. You are one. It's in the West too. It's an Indian export. Nirvishesha shunyavadi paschatta deshatarane. So, yeah, so anyway, when I came to the temple, I immediately found it very attractive. I could see the devotees are, are so blissful. They're so happy. And they're not happy in the superficial way that people get happy by having money, having sex, having drugs, getting intoxicated, going to football games. It's not that kind of happiness. But there's a genuine, you can see, they're very pure, glowing with happiness. 
genuine spiritual happiness, which I'd never seen or imagined before. And then I heard about the lifestyle, how they rise early morning and engaged in services. Vegetarian, which is good, because I was already vegetarian. I wasn't going to join a meat-eating monastery. Actually, some years later, quite a few years later, um, the a cousin of mine, he joined a Christian monastery in Ireland. And he came to see me shortly when I visited Ireland. And he was the first one to join there for several years. They have a university in Ireland for training up priests and no one joins. No one's joined the university for several years. I was living for some time as a kind of guest in some monastery in Ireland before I joined the temple. They're hoping I would join. No one had joined for 20 years. They're sending so many priests from South India to Europe to because they don't. their local people are not becoming priests. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so I was impressed by all these things. So I told them that, well, if you can convince me philosophically, I'll join you. If you can show me that philosophically. No, I don't want some mumbo-jumbo or some sentimentalism. But if you have some actual philosophy that's right. So the, so we were, I was taking the position of, a, of an opponent, whatever they said. I said, well, how can you say this truth? He said, because, of, because it's in Scripture. You have to follow what's in Scripture. So I said, okay, I can accept that. Then, uh, but there are so many different Scriptures. So the, it went back and forward like this. You have to see, but then they said, you have to see which Scripture gives you actual knowledge. Here we have actual, other Scriptures speak of God, but here we have knowledge of God, who He is where he lives, what he looks like, what his names are, and a practical process to approach him. So I was pretty much convinced right away. And I took a little prasadam and then I became more convinced. Because <laughs> um, then, what happened, I... I came back to my father's house. I was living in Ireland for some time. I came back to my father's house because I remember I, the, I remember seeing on the TV when I wasn't really watching, but I remember seeing that the they'd opened the Hare Krishnas had opened a center in Lechmore Heath, and somehow the name of that village stuck in my mind. I remember it was near Watford, which is near my father's house. So I went back to my father's house, got out on my old bicycle, and cycled over there because it's only like ten miles away. It was a sunny day, but English weather being what it is, by the time I reached it was snowing. So I only had a shirt on. And it was dark and snowing, and then I got a puncture, and it was a village, and there was no puncture repair, so I had to stay overnight. So I stayed overnight, and they got me up at four o'clock in the morning, and that's a bit of a shock. They put me in a shower, and there was no heating, and it was very cold water. So there I was, and they were uh, 4.30 in the morning, and this beautiful ceremony, all the devotees dancing and singing this beautiful song, I couldn't understand it, and the beautiful deities. I thought, wow, this is wonderful, these people are really serious. 
They get up early every morning. You do this every morning? Yeah. They get up early every morning at this beautiful service. That means they're really serious about what they're doing. And it, what they're doing is so wonderful. This beautiful ceremony and beautiful deities and beautiful song. Even though it's so cold, but everyone's there. So I thought, this is, I have to join here. So, getting on to another question. What differences and similarities do you find in Christianity and Krishna consciousness? Well, similarity, there's uh, belief in God. What else? Um, belief in scripture. Pretty. Anything else? Any suggestions? Love of God. Love of God. I don't know. It's more like fear of God. They emphasize more. If you don't do what God says, you'll, you'll get burned in hell. There was one song we used to sing at school. It was a, a, a slave song from America in which they're singing God's, God Uvacha. I will smite them ad infinitum. You don't know what that means. I will smite them. Smite them means to smash them. I will smash them ad infinitum. I will smash them unlimitedly. This is the concept of God. So, love of God, well, maybe, in, but the, what, what is love? I mean, there have been in Christianity persons who have cultivated that, but I didn't come across anyone who's interested in actually loving God. Theoretically, it's there. But mostly, it's taking him as an order supplier. He will give us... We pray to him, and he will give you what you want. He'll give you money and good health, and all these things. They make conversions here in India, isn't it, by healing people. You get healed so you can go on enjoying life more. Heaven and hell, yeah, but they have, again, their misunderstanding, their idea of heaven is a place where you go to him. God lives there and you enjoy yourself. And he's somewhere on, somewhere there and you enjoy yourself with his blessings. The, one of the ex, he's now dead, but the, Archbishops of Canterbury, which means the head of, he's the second biggest, head of the second biggest Christian sect in the world, the Church of England and, and its affiliated churches. He was asked, what do, what do you want to do when you go to heaven? They presumed he was going to heaven, even though he's a you know, cow eater and this and that. Oh, another thing in, in Christianity I was very unimpressed with, was the the parish priest was a chain smoker. <laughs> he put out his uh, to go on the altar. He'd put out his cigarette, and as soon as he came off, light it up, and one after the other, after the other. So, so what do you want to do when you go to heaven? And he said, "Well, I'll spend the first hundred years praising God, and the rest of eternity enjoying myself." Ignorance. It's actually ignorance. We can say it's good, and Christianity is good in as much as it gives people 
some idea that there is God, some supreme controller. In that way it is a service to humanity. But the misconceptions they have are a disservice to humanity. What were the reactions of governments, priests and people when Christians joined Krishna consciousness? Mixed. There are different governments in the world, different priests in the world and different people in the world. Um, I joined in 1975, the Krishna conscious movement was still very new and to a large extent in England where I joined. Mm, I mean, it's not that, for a start, it's not that it was such a big thing in everyone's mind, even now. It's not that you know people go around talking about the Hare Krishna people. It's from the extrinsic viewpoint our movement's not a very big movement it's not such a big thing so uh, the, the general reaction was it seems to be that my experience is that people thought we were crazy because to walk around in this kind of dress and to sing on the streets this funny thing to them it, it seemed very strange at that time and a lot of people they Mostly there was a feeling that what is it, something foreign, they didn't like it. But the world has changed a lot. Um, and now uh, people in the Western countries, they're open to all kinds of different cultures. And actually, my experience is that our movement is, as much as people think about it, which isn't that much, it's quite well accepted. This is general, generally speaking. And I go everywhere in the West in this dress and I never, I don't even bring pants and shirt. Sometimes you need that. I just came from Dubai last night to Bombay. So entering and leaving Dubai, I have to wear pants, shirt and cap. But in the Western countries, I mean, some of our devotees, they wear that. They don't want to show that they're devotees. But I, I just go everywhere dressed like this and I don't find any negative reaction. People are quite accepting. Government, well again it's different. Different in different countries. Even in Europe it seems the, the French government is, has never relaxed on our move. They don't like it. And the Belgian government seems to be somewhat heavy, whereas others are quite open. At the House of Commons in England, that's equivalent to the Lok Sabha. Or maybe it's shown the other way. The Lok Sabha is equivalent to the House of Commons in England. Uh, they celebrate Janmashtami. Our devotees organize that with the, with the MPs. So, that's pretty good, isn't it? That started just two years ago, I think. In Diwali, they celebrate... Of course, politicians are politicians. They want to get the Hindu vote. And money. <laughs> and the Hindu money also, which is not insignificant in England. But anyway, it's a good sign. What cultural, social and spiritual differences do you observe in Western society and Indian society now and 30 years ago? Well, I just spoke about that a little bit. Um, the concepts of, of, of that of reincarnation and karma 
are very much there in the Western world. People know about it. They may or may not believe in it, but they know about it, which wasn't there. And vegetarianism is much more widely accepted in the Western world. In India, there's a big difference also. Those, those of you who are my age, I'm almost 50, this bag of bones sitting up here is almost 50. So those of you who are my age or a little older can also say that there has been a... There's a difference in Hinduism in India today and what it was like in, the, say, the early 1970s. The, going to colleges and schools in the 1970s in uh, India, often the students, they were quite disrespectful. They pull your shika and make call names and laugh at you. It's quite different now. They're quite respectful. Temple building was not going on. Temple closing was going on. But now it's changed. And that's because of Prabhupada's movement. That people have seen, that the Indian people have such high estimation of Western people, which is also unwarranted. But when they saw the Westerners taking to such serious practices of Krishna Bhakti, then Indian people who practically, to be a pious Hindu at that time, among that generation, among young people in the early 1970s, that, that was considered something really stupid. You'd be, your, your, your friends would call your names and it was considered stupid. But it's changed. There's, you could say, a Hindu revival. Even the up, the, the Sangha Parivar and the BJP and all that, that came up, actually. This, this feeling came up because of see, the, seeing the Western devotees. Prabhupada wanted Western devotees to come to India for preaching Krishna consciousness because it has a, an effect on the Indian psyche even now, isn't it? So I'm trying, I'm bringing some Westerners, some, some white elephants. <laughs> There's a few here. And if they can learn the local language, it's even more effective, isn't it? I'm still waiting for one to learn Canada. One learned Tamil, which is a difficult language, one of the devotees I brought from the West. But he's in Govardhan now learning Sanskrit, so... If you can learn, it will be tremendously effective. Even now, uh, in Bangladesh, I, I, I meet people who say, well, I, I saw you when I was five years old. That was 20 years ago. You came to our village. And has a, people they remember has a tremendous effect, actually. Uh, in Western countries, do people accept it? How long have I lived in India? Mm, well, on and off since 1977. That's 29 years. Although about, let me see, about nine of those years I was more based in Bangladesh, Burma, Thailand, Malaysia, which you can say is 
extended India. Don't tell the Bangladeshis that. When we were in Bangladesh, early, in the early days there, we made the mistake of going to see a government minister. And we showed him all the things we're doing all over the world. And we said, you see, we're spreading Bengali culture all over the world. He said, but not Bangladeshi culture. It's Muslim. Although Bangladesh at that time as a country had not existed or even there wasn't even any concept for more than eight years. Uh, which part of India do you find the most favorable to Krishna consciousness? Bangalore. Actually. I'm not just saying that because I'm in Bangalore. <laughs> Which country other than India is the friendliest to Krishna consciousness? Probably Mauritius. I haven't been there, but I've heard. Like the government ministers. It's a country... Yeah, it's... Uh, what's the population? You could put, you could put a few times the population of Mauritius in Bangalore. Isn't it? It's probably not more than a million. So it's a, it's a country, but it's a small country. The friendliest to Krishna consciousness. Mm. What do you mean by the friendliest? I mean, in, in Slovenia, which is another, you could put the, a few times... It's about two million population, something like that, isn't it? Two and, a half. two and a half million. So they also, the the government calls the devotees when they when they have some like moral issue, they discuss it. They bring a representative of Christianity and a representative of the Hare Krishna. In England now, the government is quite friendly in terms of uh, people becoming devotees. Well, Bangladesh, so many, but that's among the Hindus. In, in non-Hindu areas where people become devotees, many people have become devotees in Russia, and probably per capita, the country where more people have become devotees than any other outside of a Hindu area is Croatia. We have two Croatian devotees here. One Russian devotee. They're not Russians or Croatians. They're devotees. But just from the social point of view, we can say like that. So there's very good scope. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, and Prabhupada quoted so many times, Bharata bhumite hoila manusha janma ja janma shata kari koropara upaka That those who are born as humans in the land of India should they have the best opportunity to be Krishna conscious. So they should take the opportunity and do good for others. Prabhupada used to quote this and say, I am one Indian. And look what I have done. All the Indians should do as much as I have done. So it's a big world. There's a lot of preaching to do. And you can go. People in India tend to respect the Westerners. And in the West... If someone comes from India, they say, well, he must know what he's talking about. If a preacher, preacher comes, 
They think, well, it's Indian culture, so he should know what he's talking about. So there's good scope for preaching. But you should know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, Janma Sata Kari. Make your life successful by Krishna consciousness and go and preach all over the world. So, that's the end of the questions. Does anyone have any other questions? They're ready. How do you differentiate between following Srila Prabhupada as it is and becoming a fanatic? Well, following Prabhupada as it is means you don't become a fanatic because Prabhupada is not a fanatic. Everything Prabhupada does is based on Shastra. Tachradhana munayo jnana vairagya yuktaya pashanti atmani chatmanam bhaktir shuta grihitaya. Everything is based on Shastra. What should be the guiding principle to avoid being fanatic in our daily activities and also while preaching? Who asked this? What do you mean by fanatic? Prabhupada, well, fanatic means one who uh, acts in a, in a dogmatic way without uh, consideration. In, and, and one thinks that only I am right and everyone else is wrong. So, is that what you mean by a fanatic? How to avoid? Well, you just practice Krishna consciousness normally and you won't be a fanatic. Normally means according to Guru, Sadhu and Shastra. Everything is given in Shastra so we can understand why we are doing what we are doing. Now the word fanatic I've often heard in relation to, well, myself and but with the idea that, well, people say I follow very strictly. But I don't think I follow very strictly. I just follow the basic things that Prabhupada and Shastra teach us. If everyone else doesn't follow and I try to follow that, then do I become a fanatic? I don't think so. Jesus is the only way is certainly observed, but when we preach chanting Hare Krishna is the only way in Kali Yuga, someone may say, we are being guilty of the same Christian mode of preaching. How do we justify this? Well, Hare Nama Eva Kevalam. It's not only the Hare Krishna mantra. Prabhupada often used to say, you can chant any name of God. If you're in Islam, then chant the name of Allah. In, in You can chant the name of Jesus also. So Prabhupada didn't insist you have to chant Hare Krishna. But he emphasized you chant the name. Certainly you'll get more benefit from chanting Hare Krishna because that is the, the his own personal names. Then There's no material misunderstandings accompanying that. But Prabhupada often, he would say that, you chant whichever names you are accustomed to in your culture. If there's no other questions, yeah. Those who are not believing in Jesus will burn in hell. That's what I was taught, although apparently um, they, not all Christians teach that nowadays. Those who are not following four regulated principles have to suffer hellish punishment, but not forever. Uh, in, uh, 
Well, there's a big difference between getting punished for some time and getting punished eternally without any hope of redemption. There's other questions in Christianity. Like they, because they have a theological problem with children who, who, who are born and then they die. Say they die at one week old. So they invented limbo. They invented some place where you go, you're neither here nor there. And then they invented purgatory. That means that if you're a Christian, but you do sins, you can go and get burned for a short time, and then you can go to heaven. So they invented so many things, because they don't have actual knowledge. Hmm. Jehovah's Witness, yeah. How authentic is it? I don't. I haven't really studied them, but in general, Christianity it's uh, it's theologically has lots of problems. Oh, Jehovah is a it's a biblical name for God. That's all. Yahweh, I believe, is the original. And then it became anglicized as Jehovah. Yeah, Ten Commandments. Yeah, Prabhupada, he would always say that. He didn't, Prabhupada didn't discuss much. When he met with Christians, he didn't discuss about God or even, he would say, first of all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should follow. Thou shalt not kill. Why are you eating meat? And they would say, well, thou shalt not kill means thou shalt not kill a human being. But Prabhupada contested that. Historically, scholars know that Jesus was born in an Essene family. It was a Jewish sect uh, that promoted vegetarianism and belief in reincarnation. And the first 300 years or so, Christians... They were all vegetarians and believed in reincarnation. It got changed. Christianity is not following what Jesus originally taught, actually. Yeah, Jesus fed meat and this and that. But Well, as Prabhupada said, he, he could do if he wanted to. He was in the desert and he fed. There's nothing else available. But then again, um, by scholarly analysis, what's the word, the high Canada word for rice? Anna? Annam. Annam. Anna, just Anna. Okay. And if you want to ask someone, did you take your food? How do you say? Did you take Anna? Is it? Did you take your meal? There's another word. All right. Well, just like in Bengali, the, the word bat for rice. So, if you ask someone, did you eat? They say, Adniki, bat kerchen. Because it, it, it literally means, did you eat rice? Because rice is the staple food. So, when he said, did you eat rice? It means you also had some dal and some chilies and Sabji, if you have, you know, not everyone has that much, can afford Sabji also. But it means, did you take, did you eat? So, 
Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Much later, the Gospels were written down in Greek, in which the word for food is meat, because their staple food is meat. So if it says that, did you, did you take your meal, abniki meat kayetsen, did you eat meat? It means you also ate bread and whatever else they eat. So when Jesus says, go and take your meal, that comes out in the Testament, go and eat meat. You see? So it may not be. Similarly with wine. He said that he drank wine. But, uh, yeah, grape juice they had. Grape juice concentrate, something like that. It seems like that. It's not 100%. There's, there's good evidence that Jesus was not a drunkard and a meat eater. Yeah. But one thing is, there's no use to discuss this with these Christian people. No, I don't find there's any use to discuss anything with them because they, you know, they're meatheads and they're, philosophy. They don't have philosophy. It's just you believe in Jesus. You just believe. Wash yourself in the blood of Jesus. What a horrible idea. You have to become bathed in the blood of Jesus. So anyway, I don't want to talk too much about this because our we want to promote, here is Krishna, who is all beautiful, who is very kind, who is very sweet. Our real business is not to bash Christi- Christianity. But anyway, we should under, we should not be sentimental and think that it's, you know, it's, it's okay and it's all in Bangladesh um, well it is okay to some extent it's better than being a gross atheist in Bangladesh we were a, a Hindu social leader sometime after we started doing our programs there he came and he was saying saying to us it's so good wherever you go you do your programs and so many people come and they see the westerners devotees and they see the Films of Krishna consciousness spreading all over the world. They used to tell us that Hinduism is a dying religion, so you have to convert to Islam or Christianity. But wherever you go doing your programs, the tendency to convert is completely stopped. And even some of the people who converted come back to Hinduism. So then we were saying that, well, the Hindus are eating meat and the Christians are eating meat. And they both believe in God. And what's the benefit of being a Hindu? We were like teasing him. Saying even the Hindus, they don't have any said thing, but at least the Christians go to church on Sunday. So he was offering this and that, and he said, yes, but if they, we, we eventually accepted one point, that if they remain Hindus, they are more likely to say the name of Gauranga. So we accepted that. Okay. Better they remain Hindus. But actually they become uh, very offensive, as you know. They become, in the name of becoming Christians, they become very offensive to Krishna. Yeah. I have a question. I'm not able to understand 
Well, these are the questions that were given to me from the newspaper. That's why. One newspaper gave me these questions to answer. That's why I'm answering them. I didn't make them up. Yeah. Islam is anti-Vedic. Mm, yeah, in some ways you could say that. Yeah, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also didn't have a very high opinion of the Quran, it seems. Yeah, when he spoke with the, the, the Turkish soldiers, he showed that the Quran ultimately teaches that the Supreme is the Supreme. Allah is ultimately to be understood as Krishna, with a blackish form holding a flute. So then it seems that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said different things about the Quran at different times. Well, we can say when he was speaking with the Chan Kazi, that he was speaking about the conventional understanding of the Qur'an. But when he found people on a higher level of adhika to discuss higher points, then he discussed higher points with them. What is the difference between the Christian understanding of God and Shiva and other gods? Well, there is one Supreme Lord, his name is Krishna. And there are many subordinate gods of among whom Lord Shiva's position is very special. So the god of Christianity, although they have a very vague idea, but that is their understanding of Krishna. Now, more than once Srila Prabhupada was asked, is it better to be a worshipper of different demigods? Which is better to worship? And specifically, is it better to worship Kali and eat goat's meat? Or what is better? Or to be a Christian and believe in one God? Prabhupada said it's better to be a Kali Upasak, Shakta, because they're within the Vedic culture. That was Prabhupada's answer. To be within the Vedic culture, even at a lower lower level, is spiritually a higher level than to be outside the Vedic culture and nominally believing in one God. Birth in India is a higher birth from this spiritual perspective. Even the birth in a rickshaw driver's family is gives one a better spiritual opportunity than to be born in a rich family in the West. Of course, now there are devotee families in the West also. Now, we shouldn't ourselves, be, you know, start hating Christianity. Or, but we should understand clearly that it's not all the same. That Krishna consciousness teaches us who is God and how to approach Him and gives a, an in, uh, an understanding, tattva of reality, not based on imagination,
but that is based on scripture and which appeals to the intelligence also. Just like this point that uh, well there are so many points I didn't mention that one this idea that you just believe in Jesus and you can do any sinful thing and you're saved just by believing in Jesus then why did Jesus give so many instructions one has to follow his instructions that's one point that Prabhupada often made he said if you believe in Jesus then why don't you follow his instructions so this question about being a fanatic comes again. Well, if you believe in Prabhupada, then why don't you follow his instructions? Otherwise, it's in name only. Gradually, everything gets watered down. There was a time in India when drinking tea and coffee was considered sinful. But now it's become normal. It's considered quite alright for everyone to do. So gradually everything gets spoiled. There was a time when divorce and sex outside marriage was considered very wrong, but things are changing. Now it's coming to be accepted as normal. Hmm? Non-vegetarian, yeah. Like that. So things are changing for the worse. And things have changed since Prabhupada left also. I mean the standards in our movement, like I was saying, people think I'm very strict. But I'm just following what all the devotees used to follow when Prabhupada was here. It was just a, we didn't eat food cooked by non-devotees, for instance. We didn't go to movies... We didn't go to, we didn't you know, have all these kami teachings in our movement. It was just Krishna conscious and you just follow everything, that's all. Nowadays if you just follow the basic things that Prabhupada taught us, which is according to Shastra, people call you a fanatic. Hare Krishna, Hare 